So we turn to God's Word, and we're Matthew chapter 27, so you can find that. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure that we ever fully or can even fully appreciate the, the appalling scene of Jesus hanging on the cross of the crowds jeering loudly with the, the midday sun just blazing down, and then, and then even the sun itself hides its face. Matthew 27, verses 45 to 53. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood, and they thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with star wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so that he could drink. But the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. Then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart, the tombs opened, the bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem, and appeared to many people. Blackness coldness and fear just just mark the scene added to that was the darkness of god's judgment and, and wrath and, and that that wrath was not directed on the people and on the crowds even even though it should have been jesus had already endured the most intense suffering the betrayal the denial the desertion the injustice the scourging the spitting the the derision the sh- and that was before the cross itself with all of its excruciating pain. See, the Roman soldiers were, were skilled torturers. They used a barbaric whip made of leather embedded with balls of metal and hooks. The whipping, which would have cut deep into Jesus' back, it would have cut it into, into ribbons, a, a pain that was, was so intense that the whipping alone often killed many who were tortured. And Jesus endured all of this. Then a cross was placed on his shoulders, and he was made to carry it to the hill of crucifixion. Metal spikes were driven through each wrist, and the left foot was placed on top of the right, and a long metal spike nailed through the arches of both feet. And as the cross was dropped into a hole in the ground, he was left to die in the most horrific way. And yet... He was completely innocent of any crime. But what was interesting is that the New Testament has got very little to say about Jesus' physical pain. And all of the events that lead up to that moment, there was something else that was utmost on Jesus' mind. All these grueling experiences were overshadowed by one horrific prospect. This whole time, Jesus knew that he must drink the bitter cup. And now, now that hell had come, and the darkness of the Father's anger was on him. All the physical 
pain that Jesus suffered, it fades in comparison to that unique spiritual pain of Jesus on that cross. He was cut off from Father God. In that moment, his own father hides his face from his son, creating a level of aloneness and, and desolation that, that, we, that we never need to know. In those agonizing hours, Jesus no longer enjoys his father's fellowship or presence or support. Alone, he bears the colossal load of sin. He alone could bear it in our place. But it still leaves us with the haunting question of Matthew 27, verse 46. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? See, there are a few things in the Bible that raise emotions like the cross of Jesus Christ. For some people, it is life-changing. For so many other people, it is sheer stupidity. And, and we can talk about God, we can talk about spirituality, but as soon as we mention the cross of Jesus Christ, you can, you can guarantee you will nearly always get a reaction. But the cross is the greatest central truth of the Bible. See, without the death of Jesus, there is no resurrection, there is no hope for this world. And today, we're going to explore this question that Jesus asks on the cross, why have you abandoned me? The answer is found actually throughout the whole Bible. Let me just pick up one helpful verse from, from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 for now. It says, for our sake... He made him, that's Jesus, to be sin that knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And, and this verse gives us an insight into the necessity of Jesus' abandonment on the cross. It explains how two sides that were irreconcilably different can be brought together. It explains how they can be reconciled. Or to put it another way, how Jesus' death on the cross has got massive ramifications for you and for your eternal future. However, to understand this, we must first of all, we must first of all define sin. And of course, here we've got a, a problem because this world has become so desensitized to sin that sinners really are only murderers and maybe rapists and, and child abusers. So we don't tick any of those boxes. We, we maybe we feel we're okay. And the reality is we are liars and cheaters and, and gossipers. We just love to gossip, don't we? But in our minds, it's no longer sinful. It's, it's just, a, just a helpful way of passing on information. And then lies, well, lies is just self-protection, and cheating and deception are essential qualities for promotion within the workplace. And, and, and we can very easily convince ourselves that sin in itself is outdated. So many people have almost redefined sin something like this, that sin is only wrong as long as you don't get caught. Anybody with children knows this. How often have you looked a child in the eye and questioned them after they've done something wrong, only to discover that all of the tears, all of the sorries, are not because they've disobeyed you, but because they've been caught. When I was growing up on the farm with my twin brother, we used to have little competitions. One of them was we would stand on the wall and we would see how far we could wee. Now, the key, 
the key was to get the right angle, to get the right projection. It's all about the mathematics. Got to take in wind conditions, very important. The last thing he ever wanted was backsplash. But the most, the most important thing of all was making sure that nobody saw us. Because what we were doing in our minds was quite normal as long as we didn't get caught. And, and, and so many of us, even as Christians, we have this sort of childish view of sin. We, we actually convince ourselves that, that, that some sins are okay as long as we don't get caught. But what we really need to do is to go back and to re-examine and, and define the biblical meaning of sin. And to do this, let me take you back to the Garden of Eden, to that moment when sin first entered into this world, because that, that is where the whole gospel story begins. When God made and created man, there was no sin in this world. It is a place of perfection. There's no sickness, no pain. And when Satan slithered up to Eve in the form of a snake and, and lied to her, and she in turn lied to Adam, we, we see the first act of rebellion against God. And in that moment, everything, everything changes. Both Adam and Eve doubted God. They believed the lie of Satan, who said, can you really trust God? Isn't he just sort of spoiling your fun for you? You see, sin always appears attractive at first. And this doubt led to disobedience. Well, when God confronted them, what did they do? Well, they blamed somebody else. Things really haven't changed that much, have they? Once we get caught, we, we still look for somebody else to blame. And if it's, if it's not our politicians, it's our parents. And if it's not our upbringing, it's our environment or our education system. And if all else fails... Well, we blame God, because it's always somebody else's fault. We run up a huge credit card bill. It's not my fault. It's the bank. Or if we, we, we drink too much, it's, it's not me. It, it's my friends. And, and, and Adam, Adam believed, Adam blamed his wife, Eve. But what was Adam doing in, in all of this? You thought about it? Well, he's just watching. He's sort of watching the whole thing unfold. He witnesses the whole thing, and he does nothing. He chooses to do nothing. And the great sin of Adam is doing nothing. And this world is falling apart because sometimes we do nothing. We watch the gospel being trampled on, and we do, we do nothing. And doing nothing is as much a sin as willful disobedience. In fact, the sin of omission is very often our, our biggest problem. And our, our country needs men who will walk with Jesus, who will lead their families well, who will set a moral and a spiritual example. And where are the men and the women who will live by the word of God, be filled with his spirit, who are praying? The truth is that, that too many of us are just sitting around doing nothing. We truly are sons of Adam. And all too often we say what Adam and Eve said, I'll do it my way. My way is better than God's way. So it should not surprise us when God gives us exactly what we want. He leaves 
us alone. And just as God left Adam and Eve alone, he cut them off and, and they had to leave the garden. They had to leave his protection. And, and we discover that sin has got consequences. And the result of their sin, of their rebellion was pain. It was sickness. And ultimately, it was death. And we have all messed up. And the Bible tells us very clearly in Isaiah that even the very best things that we do, even our good choices, even our, all of our recycling and our charity work, all our religious activities, all the very best things that you can do, Isaiah 64 verse 5 says that all of our righteous, righteous deeds are like polluted garments. Let me put it like this. Even the thought that you are a good person is motivated by pride, and pride is a polluted garment. And I want you to face facts. We are all sinners. 1 John 1 verse 8, it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And so if you're sitting here this morning or online or listening at some stage to this, and you think, well, look, I'm okay. I'm better than most people around me. There's no nice way of saying this, but you are deceived and deception is demonic you need to repent and you need to turn to Jesus and, and, and for some you may be blatantly sinning for others you may be religious full of pride and arrogance and whether it's willful sin and disobedience or pride or the sin of omission you need to start talking to Jesus and ask him to send his Holy Spirit to open your eyes to see the true sinful condition of your life. Because this problem of sin has not gone away. We are all rebels. Isaiah 3 verse 10 to 12 tells us no one is righteous. Not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. This is the condition of all of our hearts. And it's a big problem because God, though only the one and only true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, He is God most high. He possesses the heavens and the earth. He's the creator of all things. All things exist and were created by Him. He's the everlasting God, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. He is King of kings. He's Lord of all, the great, the almighty, the awesome God. He is the Holy One. And yet those words don't even begin to do justice to what God is like, the one, the one that one day we will stand before, which leaves us with a massive problem. Because God hates sin, and we are sinners. And He cannot simply ignore it. God must judge sin and Justice must be done. And when God looks on sin, sin must be punished. And that punishment has not changed since the day of Adam and Eve. It's still separation from God and death. But with our warped view of sin, we try to convince ourselves that we deserve something else other than the wrath of a just and a holy God. And, and we've got no right to think that way. Instead, this is what we should be thinking. Why am I still here today? 
How on earth can a holy and a righteous God, knowing what I did, what I thought, what I said yesterday, not have killed me in my sleep last night? Why has he not destroyed each and every one of us? Why, why, why does God hold back his judgment from me? Now, if that was the end of the story, we have no hope and we have no purpose. However, it's not the end of the story. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, But God showed his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So even as sin entered into this world, God's rescue plan was already unfolding. See, God's not cut not caught off guard by Adam and Eve's disobedience. It wasn't that God turned to Jesus as Adam and Eve are munching on their apples and said, well, I didn't see that one coming. Wow, what are we, we going to do now? See, this is not plan B. There is and never will be a plan B. Before the creation of this world, before time began, God in the form of man would enter into this world. And as we read through the Old Testament, the clues, the hundreds, literally hundreds of prophecies building together, each, every one of them is pointing towards one man, towards Jesus Christ. Jesus, who is fully God and yet fully man. Listen, he was tempted just as we are. He faced the same difficulties. Jesus, Hebrews 4 verse 14 says, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, and he faces all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. And Jesus chose to live just as you and me without sin. And he did this by being completely spirit-filled throughout his earthly life, and he, he walked in perfect harmony with the Holy Spirit. The sinless Jesus then willingly was tortured and beaten, mocked and shamed, and he went to the cross. That's what we have seen over the last two weeks. We've been leading up to this moment. He was crucified, and he suffered the most excruciating, painful death. But what happened on that cross was the most devastating and yet the most glorious event in all of world's history. God made Jesus to be sin. In this most mysterious and agonizing transaction, the sin and the filth of our lives was somehow placed on the Lord Jesus. He experienced the pain and the shame of being a sinner and the judgment of his heavenly Father on the sinless Son of God was heaped the evil and the injustices of this world. All of your sin, past, present, and future, was placed on Jesus so that when God looks on his Son on that cross, he does not see his Son, but he sees your sin. In that moment, God's wrath was poured out, and Jesus took the full force of God's just, just, justice. The punishment that you deserved was taken by Jesus. 1 Peter 1 verse 8, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. 
it was the great, great exchange. This ultimate substitution. God dealt with your sins in Jesus. And in this two-way swap, Jesus received your sins, but you by faith are given his righteousness. Now, you don't deserve this. You've done nothing to earn it. It's just this remarkable exchange. You see, if, if I am in Christ, God no longer sees me as the self-seeking liar that I am. He sees me as though I am full of Jesus' grace and truth. He no longer sees my anger, my hatred. He's dealt with all of that on the cross. He sees the love. He sees the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. He no longer deals with my faithless idolatry. He welcomes me as a devoted son. In Christ, I am accepted. I am loved. I am a forgiven sinner. And when you accept Jesus as the only solution to your sin problem, when you repent of your sin and you turn from your way of thinking to Jesus' way and you submit all of your life to him, when God looks on you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. Why did Jesus go through all of that? Why was he forsaken by God? Simple answer. There was no other way. Justice had to be done. And, and Jesus suffered to save you, to bear the whole punishment of your foul sins. Nothing less than the experience of hell could be sufficient. The hell of being God forsaken of having the wrath of the Father poured out on sin. Only, only a sinless person could do this. Only Jesus. This is no cold, formal transaction. This is an act of raging, of powerful love. A love for a lost humanity that was so strong that it put the love of a father for a son and a son for his father to the ultimate test. And he did it for you. He did it for me. See, without Jesus, you are lost and you're condemned. You don't stand a chance. Your future will be an eternity of separation from God death and a never-ending hell. By faith, by grace, by resurrection power, you are ever joined to the, the single worldwide family of faith. And all you need to do is trust in Jesus as your Savior. And listen, if you're a Christian this morning, allow these wonderful, tr the wonderful truth of the cross of Jesus just to saturate your mind. Let it affect the way in which you live. You know, there are many people around today, some of them even in, as in church leadership positions right across our nation who question the Bible, who, if it's absolutely true, who deny the resurrection, who even claim that Jesus is just one way of many to God. Listen, they're wrong. See, if you undermine the cross of Jesus, if you don't talk about it, you don't just weaken your faith. You make a mockery of all that Jesus did. So, so when your circumstances cause you to doubt that God truly loves you, 
You need to fix your eyes back on Jesus who once hung on that cross bleeding and naked out of love for you. But remember, the grave could not hold him. And three days later, that same Jesus rose from the dead, and, and now he lives, and he reigns exalted in heaven. But more on that next week. I'm not going to spoil Dave's, Dave's sermon for next week. But be in no doubt. We're not worshiping some dead hero today. We are worshiping a living, victorious Savior and reconciler. The truth is that that none of us can fully understand what happened on that cross. Infinite agony crowded into three hours. No wonder the sun went black. And even though we cannot understand it, you can be amazed. And you should consider that this was because of your sin. And as you think about Jesus' infinite love for you, worship him. The message of the cross of Jesus is the only way that anyone can be rescued from God's judgment. John 3:36. And anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remain under God's anger, angry judgment. And you need to know that Jesus is the only way. And love compels me to warn you, and it should compel you to warn others as well. So if you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you to come and to put your life in his hands. Whether you're here this morning or maybe listening online, why not pray with me this morning? Just a simple prayer of faith. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner, and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins, and I invite you to come into my life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Amen. Now, if you've prayed that prayer, I want you to do one more thing, and that is tell someone. You can certainly come and tell me, but why not tell a friend, someone who you know is already a Christian? Let them know what you've done. Let them know you've made that decision to follow the Lord Jesus. But we're going to do one more thing this morning as an act of worship. In fact, it's what Jesus told us to do. We're going to take bread and wine, and we're going to come together and just worship and celebrate and remember all that Jesus Christ has done for us. But I'm going to read just a, a hymn, a very old hymn. Just reflect these words. Perhaps you want to make it a prayer as we approach the Lord's table this morning. I sometimes think about the cross and shut my eyes and try to see the cruel nails 
and crown of thorns and Jesus crucified for me. But even could I see him die, I could but see a little part of that great love which, like a fire, is always burning in his heart. It is most wonderful to know his love for me, so free and sure, but tis more wonderful to see my love for him so faint and poor. And yet, I want to love thee, Lord. O light the flame within my heart, and I will love thee more and more until I see thee as thou art. Amen.